This morning, we are picking up right where we left off last Sunday. I'll be reading the 14th chapter of the book of Acts in its entirety. So you might find it very, very helpful to open uh, the Pew Bible to page 923 or your own personal Bible and read along uh, silently as I read. You may also find it helpful to keep your Bible or the Pew Bible open as we work our way through this passage. Just don't get ahead of me, please, as we do that. Um, but this uh, chapter 14 is the continuation of what began in 13, that is, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And uh, the conclusion of 14 gets us to the conclusion of that first missionary journey. Let me just say, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I've never been an expert in this geography, um, but if you've got a good study Bible, you know, it's kind of interesting to go back there and look, and it, you, if you have a good study Bible, Reflection Study Bible, something like it, it'll have a It'll show you the little map of Paul's first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey. And um, it, it'll help put these place names, these geographical locations, uh, into context. You can kind of see it. And I found that very helpful recently, and uh, I think you would too as well. Let's ask the Lord to help us by opening up our minds and opening up our hearts to his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for your word of truth which feeds our souls and builds us up in faith and renews our minds. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit will enable us to receive and to understand spiritually and to apply to our lives uh, your word for the living of these days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please give your full attention to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Acts 14, beginning at verse 1. Now at Iconium, they... Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, who, by the way, were Jews. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, that would be the leadership of the political, religious leadership of the uh, Jewish people in the town of Iconium. Uh, when an attempt was made to mistreat them and to stone them, they, Paul and Barnabas, learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyso <clears throat> Lyconia 
and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lysonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews, probably those in political religious leadership, came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch of Syria, from where they had begun, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this sermon will be a running commentary through Acts 14, a, a flyover of the entire chapter. But the big, big, big idea can be summarized in Jesus' declaration. Here's the big, big, big idea. Jesus said, I will build.
my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the big idea. Jesus Christ building his church, advancing his kingdom on the earth through the preaching of the gospel in the face of ongoing opposition. Now, you remember Jesus' words to his apostles just prior to his ascension into heaven when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, you see, as we make our way through the book of Acts, we see this worldwide mission plan unfolding more and more. And today, in Acts 14, we come to the conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey. Last Sunday, Pastor Jonathan preached from chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch in Pisidia, that's modern-day central Turkey, in the province of Galatia. They preached the gospel. Many of the Gentiles believed the word of the Lord, as many as were appointed to eternal life. But many of the Jews there rejected the gospel. At that point, Paul and Barnabas began to focus their missionary work on the Gentiles. And even though the Apostle Paul did continue to preach the gospel to his fellow Jews, from this point forward, from Acts 13 forward, he regarded himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. And at the conclusion of Acts 13, we see the word of the Lord spreading throughout the whole region, Christ building his church, advancing his kingdom in the face of ongoing opposition. So Acts 14 picks up with Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, that we're still in modern day Turkey, in what was the province of Galatia, and Paul would later write his letter to the churches in Galatia, the letter to the Galatians. Verse 1 tells us that Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue. You still see the Apostle Paul's burden for his fellow Jews. As he said in Romans 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, Paul preached, and a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, again, notice, first of all, the Apostle Paul was a Jew. He had a great burden for his fellow Jews. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to his fellow Jews. And, and notice that many Jews believed the gospel. At this point, um, what we today call Christianity was still a movement within first century Judaism, you see. So many Jews believed the gospel, but not all. 
Verse 2 tells us that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, the believers. There were not only unbelieving Jews, but there were also unbelieving Gentiles. And what did Paul and Barnabas do in response to this opposition? Verse 3, in response to the opposition, they remained for a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. What did they do in response to the opposition? They remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, what does that tell us? Let's learn a lesson. The gospel of Jesus Christ, your witness for Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Christ in this world will face opposition. Count on it. Get used to it. It is not an easy thing to promote the gospel in this world. Not an easy thing to promote the gospel in northeast Louisiana, believe it or not. We should not expect quick and easy success. Therefore, we must be in it for the long haul. And we must not be easily discouraged or easily dismayed. I don't want to go off script. I'm tempted to go off script. And, you know, how, you know, there's just so much defeatism in, in the minds of American Christians today. You know, defeatism. Like, we're beat. Well, brothers and sisters, the game isn't over. And by the way, we know who wins the game. So let's just get rid of all this negative, despairing, dismaying, defeatism. We're in it for the long haul. And be cheerful, not fearful. Right? We see in Acts 14 that Christ's kingdom was advancing, but there was opposition. Luke tells us the people of the city were divided. Well, that's what happens when the biblical gospel is clearly preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ divides believers and unbelievers as painful as that may be. And that might be painful for us. Jesus said, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be there of, of their own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now those are hard words. Hard words. And Jesus said them. So when we face opposition because of our faith in Christ, opposition from the world in general, opposition from political authorities, opposition from social acquaintances, opposition from friends, opposition from family members, what will we do? When Jesus calls us to follow Him, He calls us to follow Him all in, all the way. Even in the face of unbelieving opposition, however painful that may 
be when Jesus draws the dividing line in the sand, so to speak, where are we going to stand? The point is we ought to expect opposition and division and not be surprised by it or scared of it. In verse 5, we are told that both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers, their leaders, conspired to stone Paul and Barnabas, which would have killed them. So they fled south to Lystra. Now, by the way, uh, it was probably during this time on Paul's first missionary journey in Lystra that Paul met a young man named Timothy and his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, about whom we read in his second letter to Timothy, all of whom became believers, probably while Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra on this first missionary journey. And later on Paul's second missionary journey, You see, Paul recruited young Timothy to join him in his missionary work, and then later Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Just make a little note in your margin there. In Lystra, Paul performed a miracle of healing on a man who had been crippled from birth. The man had been listening to Paul. Paul could tell that he was believing the gospel. So Paul said to him, stand upright on your feet. And and the man who had never walked a day in his life jumped up and began walking. Well, this miracle was much like the miracle which the apostle Peter performed on the cripple outside the temple in Jerusalem, Acts Acts chapter 3. It was much like the miracles which Jesus himself performed for cripples during his earthly ministry. And that is just the point. This miracle authenticated that the gospel which Paul was preaching was true. That Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. That his kingdom was advancing through the world. And that, as the prophet Isaiah said, through the power of the Messiah... The lame man shall leap like a deer. Well, there it was right before their very eyes to authenticate the preaching of the gospel. Now, you see, this miracle of immediate and spontaneous healing is in the category of signs and wonders which the apostles of the first century were empowered to perform for the spread of the gospel and the establishment of the church. The fact that miracles of this kind do not ordinarily happen today is not a problem. The lack of these kinds of miracles today is not due to any failing on God's part, It's not due to any lack of faith on our part or any lack of faith on on the part of someone afflicted. No. The apostles of the first century were granted this power by the Holy Spirit to work these kinds of signs and wonders. And even then, by the way, miracles of this sort were relatively few in number. So don't be confused by that. But look what happened. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices and said, the 
gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, the king of the Greek gods. And Paul, they called Hermes, the messenger god, because he was the chief speaker. In other words, these pagan Gentiles began to worship Barnabas and Paul. <laughs> and oh boy, oh brother, oh man, do preachers like to be worshipped. <laughs> but <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas would have nothing of it. Now there's a backstory. There was an ancient leaven legend and it was it was made popular by the Roman poet Ovid remember him from your humanities class this ancient legend popularized popularized by the Roman poet Ovid who wrote about 50 years just 50 years before this event in which Zeus and Hermes disguised as men came down from the heavens and visited this very region around Lystra where Paul had just performed this miracle. And according to this myth, in their incognito appearance as men, Zeus and Hermes sought hospitality from the residents, but they were turned away again and again and again. But then an elderly and impoverished peasant couple took them into their home. And the next day, the gods rewarded them by turning their shack into a mansion, but destroyed with a flood all the homes of the inhospitable people. Well, <laughs> the pagan Gentiles of Lystra believed that myth. And by the way, there are two inscriptions and a stone altar that have been discovered near Lystra indicating that Zeus and Hermes were worshipped there as local patron deities. Now, that may sound crazy to us, but it speaks to a very, very important point. Human beings are, by nature, religious we are created in the image of God and therefore have a spiritual nature and an ingrained impulse to worship something. This is true across the board anthropologically throughout history. But because we have a fallen nature corrupted by sin, we are naturally inclined to idolatry, the worship of false gods. Romans 1. As Bob Dylan sang, you might serve the Lord or you might serve somebody else, but you're going to serve somebody because that's our nature. Even the atheist worships something, perhaps his or her own intellect or supposed independence or personal prosperity and material comfort or assumed uh, superiority over others. Even in our technologically advanced culture, 
There are thousands and thousands, untold thousands of people, I suppose, who are caught up in some form of, some new age form of ancient pagan spirituality. It's very commonplace. They offer their prayers to the universe, whatever that means. Or they supposedly channel their spirit guides through animals or specially cut stones. Other people worship at the altar of nationalism or materialism or social prestige or sexual identity or racial identity. Now, the most popular, dominant, false god today in our culture is the Trinitarian God. Me, myself, and I. But everybody worships something. And the point is, if you're not worshiping the one and only true and living God revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, you are in fact worshiping a false God. It is inevitable. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Just as those Gentiles in Lystra were. Well, Paul and Barnabas immediately rejected their worship and preached to them. Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news. We bring you the gospel, literally, the gospel. Turn from these vain things to worship a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed nations to walk in their ways. You get the point there? He had revealed himself only to old covenant Israel. Not to all the nations of the world, but Christ has come. Things have changed. God's revelation now goes to all people, is the point. Paul continued, God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You see, in this brief sermon to the pagans, to the Gentiles, Paul, Paul doesn't refer to the Old Testament prophets or to God's law given through Moses. None of that would have made any sense to them. Instead, he refers to God's common grace, his goodness over all creation, to the basic needs and longing for happiness that all humans have. Paul was finding common ground and a connecting point with these pagans in order to share the gospel with them. That's an encouragement to us as we seek to share the gospel with others. God has not left himself without a witness. God has not left himself without a witness. His handprint is on everyone's heart. Everyone sees his power and wisdom revealed in his work of creation, though some try to deny it. Everyone knows his or her own need for forgiveness. Everyone. Though they may be too prideful to admit it. Everyone seeks happiness. But all hearts are restless until they rest in the happiness of knowing the true and living God. So don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell an unbeliever the good news that the God who made heaven and earth has actually, has really and truly 
come into the world as a man. See how those pagans in Lystra were kind of seeing in a glass darkly? See how the ancient, the ancient pagan uh, poets and philosophers were seeing through a glass darkly? Here's the reality. Here's the reality. The living and true God has, in fact, come to the earth as a man. He didn't disguise himself as a man. He came as a man. The Word became flesh, one of us. In the reality of life in this fallen world to live for us, die for us, rise for us, reign forever for us, to secure our eternal happiness for His glory, that's not a myth. It's a reality in history. The God of almighty power. The God who makes Zeus look like a pipsqueak is indeed the God who speaks, the God who brings a message, and His message is the good news of forgiveness freely offered through His own death on a cross and everlasting life by the power of His resurrection. And so Paul and Barnabas called the people to turn away from the vain things of their false religion and turn to the living God. And that's the message that first 21st century Americans need to hear as well. Don't be afraid. God has not left himself without a witness. But again, this proclamation produces opposition. Verse 19 says that Jews, again, unbelieving Jews, probably those in official leadership positions, stirred up the crowds and stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. He was probably bleeding out of both ears, and his whole body was racked with pain. And Paul mentions this stoning in 2 Corinthians 11.25. Cross-reference that later, 2 Corinthians 11.25. Along with other sufferings he endured. But when the disciples, the believers in Lystra, gathered around him, he rose up. And get this, where did he go? He went back into the city. Now, the fact that Paul could get up and walk was another kind of sign and wonder to those converts, those new converts, showing the power of Christ at work in Paul. But you see, it was the power of Christ advancing the kingdom of Christ in the face of opposition. Now, listen to what Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians. And this is how the book of Acts can help Paul's letters come alive in a different kind of way. 2 Corinthians, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, literally, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now you see, Paul didn't write his letters while sitting comfortably in an ivory tower musing on metaphysical speculations. 
He wrote them in real time as someone who suffered opposition and persecution for the sake of Christ. And Paul referred specifically to these events of his first missionary journey, recorded in Acts 13 and 14. He he referred to them specifically when he wrote in his second letter to Timothy about my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. That's what we're reading about right now. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord Jesus rescued me. He wrote that as an encouragement to young Timothy because as he went on to say in that very passage, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you signed up for that? Did you know that that was what Jesus was telling you when he said, follow me? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in one form or another. The kingdom of Christ advances in this world in the face of ongoing opposition. And to the churches in the province of Galatia, where he was in Acts 13 and 14, in his letter to the Galatians, he wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That's right. The scars of physical wounds and the black and blue bruises of stones intended to kill him. He wrote that to the Galatian Christians to remind them of what he had endured for the sake of preaching the gospel of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone so that they would not fall away but continue with true faith in Christ. And and by the way, please note that after Paul had been stoned, presumably to death, When he got up, he went back to the city of Lystra. Ah, hmm, I imagine that there were a lot of people there who were very surprised to see him. Especially those who had been throwing the stones. He went back to show them the power of Christ. From Lystra, Paul and Barnabas went on to Derbe, and preached in that city, making many disciples. Notice how they never gave up. They never shied away from preaching the gospel. Then they went back through Lystra, <laughs> where Paul had been stoned, and to Iconium, where there had been a plot to stone them, and to Antioch, where they had been persecuted and driven out. Now, do you get this picture? They never gave up in the face of hostile opposition. And all along the way, through these cities of Galatia, they encouraged the believers to continue in the faith, continue in the faith despite hostile opposition, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is coming. And we will enter it. It's just that the way in, in this fallen world, is through tribulation. But there it is. It's a given. There's going to be opposition to the gospel. And the only way to the kingdom of God is through many tribulations. But you see, it's not said with a tone of defeatism or despair. It's just the opposite. (laughs) It's with a resounding note of victory. 
When, when Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria, completing their first missionary journey, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, the Lord had blessed their efforts. Oh, yeah, everywhere we went, we got persecuted. They lied about us. We got stoned. I mean, yeah, but, you know, God is good. The kingdom is advancing. Doesn't matter how much opposition they hurl against us. Jesus is winning. Their missionary journey had been a success. They were rejoicing and giving thanks for all that God had done with them. They were cheerful, not fearful. Because Jesus Christ was building his church and the gates of hell were not and never will prevail against it. Got it? Got it? All right, that's you. That's what we're here for. We're here, we're here for that in, in uh, northeast Louisiana. Next Sunday, if the Lord wills, we'll have a, a dear friend of mine, colleague, EPC, uh, minister of the Word, will be with us. John Crimmins will be with us. He'll be speaking about the mission work that he, le- he leads in Africa and Pakistan and Latin America. All you hear bad news about what's going on in America, right? What you don't hear is the good news about Jesus Christ building his church, advancing his kingdom on earth and the gates of hell not prevailing against it. But what's happening here in Acts 13 and 14 and all the way to the end of Acts is still going on today and we're a part of that. We are a part of this. Christ has called us to participate in this and and to be a part of His work in the world, whether we're in Washtenaw Parish, Northeast Louisiana, or what's happening by our support around the world through our missionaries. So, brothers and sisters, continue on. Continue on on. Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He will never die again, and neither will you die if you live in Him and follow Him. His kingdom is forever. To God be the glory. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word that encourages strengthens, sharpens, corrects, and guides us. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we would be faithful in responding to your word and that we, in in the ways in which you call us and equip us in our particular lives, would be faithful in participating in your work to build your church and to advance your kingdom on the earth, despite the opposition. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. Christian believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong. Body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself.
Oh, Lord. 